The baseball is an amazing plaything. We can grip it and hold it so many different ways. And even the slightest calibration can turn an ordinary pitch into a weapon to thwart the greatest hitters in the world. I just started reading a new book to Joseph. It's a New York Times bestseller from Doubleday titled K, A History of Baseball in 10 Pitches. The author is Tyler Kepner. We love it so far. It brings the readers inside the minds of combatants 60 feet, 6 inches apart. Do you think Tyler has any good ideas on how I can hit tough pitches? Good question. We're about to find out. Join us in welcoming to our podcast, national baseball writer for the New York Times and best-selling author, Tyler Kepner. And please stay tuned after our interview for a special surprise for my co-host. Hi, Tyler. Welcome to Sliders and Curveballs. Hi. Okay. This is working now, I guess, right? Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thing. Glad to Hi, be here. Tyler. How are you doing? Good, Joseph. How are you? Good. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of a bummer without baseball, huh? Where are you guys living? We live in Newington. In Newington. Okay. And so you're not too far from us. Yeah, it's... Uh, Today would have been a nice day to go out. It's a little windy today, but the, at least the ball would have been flying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, it is a little windy, sunny though, but uh, we can't get this weather to cooperate from one day to the next. Absolutely, and it's a, it's a nice Mother's Day weekend, so it's it's good to spend a little bit of time thinking about baseball. And we're so uh, thrilled that you were able to spend a few minutes with us to join us. Yep. Well, thanks a lot. I'm uh, happy to talk to you about whatever you want. Absolutely. Well, um, in our intro, we were talking a little about a little bit about the fact that we had just started reading your book. How did you come up with the idea for a K and telling the story from the pitcher's mound? Um, well, I always um, I was always pretty fascinated by pitchers um, and the uh, you know the idea of being the one guy uh, on the mound who you know on the field who starts the action and 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 decides what to throw and and, and why and and. You know, so I wanted to know more about the, um, you know, the history of what what went into those pitches, and and because it really is the uh, the beginning of everything, in, in in every in every every action that we see starts with a pitcher's decision. Um, so I was lucky to grow up um, at a time uh, outside Philadelphia when Steve Carlton was the best pitcher in baseball, and he really uh, captivated me. And I thought about maybe doing a a book on a lot of the pitchers of that era. Um, the Carlton, Ryan, Sutton, Seaver, Necro, those guys. Um, but then it just sort of grew from there to to make the, the pitches themselves sort of like the characters. And then I could get into the whole history of uh, of each of the uh, 10 major pitches. Absolutely. It's a, it's a really fascinating way to look at it, but it's really, that's how every ball game is going to start. And, and the hitters are going to just have to see if they can uh, deal with the pitcher's best stuff that day. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, every every pitch uh, has to have a a uh, you know a purpose behind it, and 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 the reason that you throw it, um, you know, uh, and 
and and every pitch has to come from somewhere. I mean, everybody, you can pick up a ball and throw as hard as you can, sort of, and there's your fastball. But everything else, um, you know, you, you kind of have to learn somehow and, and and perfect and trust. And and I wanted to get into that process of uh, of, of the stories behind uh, how guys learned uh, the pitch that made them special. Absolutely. Joseph has written down a couple of them, so we may just kind of do alternate shot here. Joe, what did you have for Tyler? Why is your strikeout called a K instead of an S? <laughs> you know what? You'd think I would know that, um, but I, I don't for sure. Um, I guess I could look it up, but I, I, I think when I have looked it up, no one's really had a, a convincing answer. Um, I guess it's just that maybe S was – you know, for sacrifice or something, and 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 K is a is a letter within uh, the word strikeout, obviously. So, um, you know, it's just I don't know, it's, uh, but it's it's been synonymous with the strikeout for uh, for you know well over a hundred years. Now, I was nervous about that question, so I because I wasn't sure if the K in the book stand, stood for Kepner as well. But um, uh, I so I you are a hundred percent correct. That's the information that I had. Uh, bumped into where S was being used for sacrifice, and I guess K is the predominant letter. What I didn't realize, though, was I guess when fans hang um, the K by the uh, the fence, that it's got the forward and backward. And I guess one of them is if you're if you struck out looking. Right, the backwards. Yeah, I really wanted to do uh, to have a backwards K kind of on the back cover. Um, I thought that yeah. would be clever, but it didn't. Uh... It didn't really work out, um, but, uh, you know, I, I guess they wanted to have all, like, the quotes from people on, on the back cover. But, um, yeah, the backwards K is, uh, is, is, is for looking. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, it uh, just forwards forwards or backwards. And in the press box, they'll say, you know, swinging or looking, and, and you just sort of know which, uh, which one it was. Absolutely. You always got to go down swinging. That's what I think, Joseph, and I tell them that all the time. Give yourself a chance. You never know what what might happen when you uh, put the barrel of the bat there through the strike zone. And I love the back of the book. I actually use that as part of our intro. So it's a, an exciting way to start things off. Um, Great. I know that you were able to talk with Mariano Rivera, uh, Greg Maddox, and the late Roy Halliday. Are there a few memorable moments or stories that you can share with our listeners about your time um, interviewing some of these great pitchers over the years? Um, well, I, you know, I really, I got to know a lot of them, um, just from being around, uh, the ballpark and, and especially my years covering the Yankees. Um, you know, I covered the Yankees for eight years and Mariano was, was with them that whole time. And, and, uh, Mike Messina for seven of those years and Andy Pettit for quite a few of them. So, um, you know, you, you get to, you get to know these guys when you're around them and in, in the clubhouse and on the field every day. Um, and so, you know, Mike Messina taught me more about pitching than anybody else. Um, just he's really a cerebral, um, you know, insightful guy. Um, and, you know, we we got along really well. So uh, when I was doing this project, I, I called him and said, uh, you know, hey, can I come visit you and, and just sit down and talk pitching? I was like, sure, you know, just come on up to Montoursville, PA and meet me for lunch or something. So, so uh, we had a great lunch. We talked for a couple of hours just about all the – ins and outs of pitching and, and uh, you know, I would bring a ball and, 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 and uh, you know, have guys show me how they, how they threw various pitches and then the stories that came from them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was, that was a real highlight is getting to, getting to uh, 
you know, revisit uh, with Mike and 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 you know, just sit there in a in a restaurant in his hometown and me and him and uh, you know talk pitching. That's great that they made time for you. How how many ball players were you fortunate to interview over the course of the whole book? Um, I, I did over three hundred interviews. I did I think it was three hundred eight or, or, or three hundred ten or so, um, and that includes. If if I would you know ask a question at the end of another interview, um, maybe unrelated, like uh, you know for example, I'd be talking to Paul Molitor, who was then the uh, manager of the Twins, uh, you know, for a story about the Twins, and then at the end I would say, hey, by the way, I'm doing this book project, and um, you know I noticed that uh, you really struggled to hit Ron Guidry. What was it about Ron Guidry's slider or whatever that was so tough for you? And, and then he would tell me, you know, he told me a great anecdote about Ron Guidry's slider. So. Um, you know, I, I counted those too, because I was asking someone something for the book specifically. So yeah, it was, it was, uh, it ended up being over 300. I didn't use all of them, but, um, you know, it gave me a really great foundation and, and a lot of, uh, rich material to choose from. Yeah, that's, that's a great approach. Go ahead, Joseph. You got a second one here. Our podcast is called Sliders and Curveballs. Can you tell us about the history of those great pitches? Sure. Well, um, you know, this, the slider was something that really, uh, you know, I, I feel like a lot of these pitches were, were thrown in some, um, in some aspect, uh, going all the way back because as long as the, you know, the, the seams have been where they are and, and pitchers can, you know, fiddle with a baseball in their hand, they, they, they could invent things and create things, but, uh, pitches really, you know, came to prominence, um, a little bit later and the slider, the slider was something that, you know, really during Ted Williams's career, uh, he noticed that the slider gained a lot of uh, popularity. And, you know, he played from the 30s uh, up until 1960s. So it's primarily like in, in, in the post-war era in the 40s, you know, he noticed that, uh, you know, pitchers were adding a, a slider to, to beyond, you know, to, to their mix beyond just a fastball and curve. And, and he said that made it a lot tougher because, uh, you know, you couldn't just guess one or the other. You know, there was another pitch that was looking like a fastball a lot longer. The curveball doesn't ever really look like a fastball, but um, because it breaks uh, so differently and, and it, it's got uh, top spin rather than back spin. But, you know, the, the, the idea that the slider would look like a fastball for so long and then move differently at the end made it really tough for, for hitters. Um, but there was a lot of backlash against the slider. A lot of pitching coaches thought that it was uh, – they just called it a nickel curve because they thought like it was nothing more, you know, not worth anything more than a nickel. Um, they just thought it was like the kind of pitch that was too much like a fastball. And then if you missed with it, it was just a, 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 a slower fastball. Um, and there's something to that, but it also is, is uh, when thrown well, it's extremely hard to hit because it looks like the fastball the longest. So um, Johnny Sane was a pitching coach. He was a great pitcher um, for the Boston Braves and the Yankees, and then he became a, a pitching coach in the 50s and uh, late six, and throughout the 60s and early 70s, and, and he really um, popularized that pitch, uh, really spread it out to the masses uh, where everywhere he went, um, whether he referred to it as a short curve or, or a slider, it really was just about learning the, the ways to make a ball spin and really studying, um, the, the, really understanding um, the properties of a spinning baseball. And, and, you know, whether that was whether your pitch was a slider, a curveball or some variation in between, um, Johnny Sane was going to find what worked for you. And he was going to do that by 
helping you understand how your ball spun. So he was really ahead of his time. Uh, he would have loved, I think, all the stuff they have now, spin axis and and um, spin rate and the XY axis, all that stuff they have now. They can measure every little thing with all the cameras. Um, he would have loved that because he was doing a lot of that stuff in a very rudimentary way uh, way back when. It's such a simple object, but it's amazing how the way that you adjust your hand or your fingers and things like that can make a world of difference. And from what I understand from the book, the slider also created a lot of problems for some on the elbow, while others had no problem uh, whatsoever. Right. I think it, it. a lot of it is just whether you throw the ball um, properly or not. I, I didn't encounter any evidence that said that one pitch was more dangerous than another. Um, certainly some pitchers have had problems with, with various pitches, but that doesn't mean that those pitches themselves inherently are, uh, <clears throat> you know, are dangerous. Um, but it might not work with, with your physiology. So, um, you know, I, I, I trust people, you know, a lot more than me, um, you know, guys like, you know, Adam Wainwright or Nolan Ryan or, or John Lester, who all said that you didn't, you know, you, you shouldn't just reflexively avoid throwing, um, you know, the, the curveball or any kind of raking pitch when you're coming up. You just really need to make sure that you're throwing it properly. And what that takes is is um, a, a an attentive, proper coach. I mean, a, a coach who really knows what he's doing and also the, the body control um, that a kid might not have to repeat the proper mechanics. That's, that's more the issue is just repeating the proper mechanics because, uh, you know, kids have growing bodies and then sometimes it's, it's, it's difficult to have the, uh, have the mastery of your, your physical movements, um, when your physiology is changing all the time. So again, I get, you know, I guess the safest thing is just, just to just throw fastballs and, and work on your command, but, um, I don't think it's, it's, it's wrong to mix in some, curveballs when you're younger because um as adam wainwright says you know you need to know the different ways that your hand moves when you're throwing a curveball um so you're not just introducing it when you're like 16 and and, and or 18 or whatever and you're used to throwing everything else one way i, I there's a distinctively different way to throw a curveball and i think it's okay to practice it when you're when you're younger as long as you're doing it right now joseph he spends a lot of days at the beach um, so who knows when the next great pitch will be invented. But from what I understand, there's uh, there's a correlation between a day at the beach and how the curveball came about. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Andy Cummings, as, as the story goes, um, was uh, 16 years old or so and, and throwing clamshells along the beach in Brooklyn and, and noticing how that when he would throw the clamshells that they would uh, – curve one way in the air or, or if he threw it a different way they'd curve another way and he wondered if he could make a baseball do the same thing and he thought it would be a great little trick to play on his uh on his friend so he uh, experimented with it with his um with his you know i guess semi-pro team there and and uh he stumbled upon a a a, a new trick that really uh caught on um to be able to uh you know throw a pitch that uh, didn't go straight and and it was like a uh, a magic trick out there and and uh you know it, in time it really really caught on it's it's one of the most famous pitches there is and of course it's even more famous by the fact it's in our podcast name <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's great uh tyler do you have a personal mount rushmore of pitchers which would be i guess for our young listeners 
the four greatest pitchers, in your opinion, of all time, having researched so many? Well, um, that's that's a great question. I, I think of the, the Mount Rushmore of pitchers from uh, recent times, um, you know, unquestionably would be Roger Clemens, Randy Johnson, Pedro Martinez, and Greg Maddox in whatever order you want to put them. Okay. Um, because those those four guys just truly dominated um, at another level from the uh, the uh, you know let's say the '90s to the early 2000s, you know sure. late '80s as well for some of them. Um, we'll, we'll let you build a separate those four, if you need to for an older era. <laughs> yeah, the, right. Those four were great, but I mean for all time, I <clears throat> it's really tough. I'd have to put Walter Johnson on there. <clears throat> I'd I I think I'd have to put. Um, I mean, some of the Negro League pitchers, you never really know, you know, how they would have fared if, if the major leagues were integrated and, and vice versa, really. Um, but I'd have to put Satchel Page on there from everything I know about him. Um, you know, and it starts to fill up fast. I mean, you, how could you leave off Cy Young at 500 wins, right? But uh, but then again, you know, Lefty Grove, the way Lefty Grove dominated his time compared to, you know, it, it's such an offensive era and Lefty Grove was was – just you know way above everybody else so I, you know and then christy matthewson but now we're already past four so I, i've never really sat down and done just the you know the four best ever um because I, it's almost impossible to to leave anybody off um you almost have to break it into eras um you know but th those would be some of the names i would i would consider uh you know and then from a personal standpoint i mean steve carlton like i said was my guy and he's He's certainly on the Mount Rushmore of left-handers, I would think, with uh, Lefty Grove and Randy Johnson and uh, Warren Spahn, probably. Uh, that'd be a pretty good foursome for uh, for your left-handers right there. Thank you so much. Uh, Joe's got another one here. Can you have a favorite team or player as a baseball writer? What's yours? Well, that's a really great question. Um you know, you're you're not. I mean, as as a writer, uh, you really owe it to the readers to be objective, and and so they know that you're, you know, you're giving them the, uh, you know, the 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 straight story. You know, not influenced by, uh, you know, which team you like and which team you don't like. But but you know, we're all human beings, and we all we all came from um, certain backgrounds, and, and and so I don't deny that when I was a young, when I was growing up, I loved the Phillies. I mean, they were my hometown team, and I was a fan, and that's how I. That's how I, uh, you know, came to uh, love baseball was was through watching the Phillies every day. And so I have a real fondness for um, the Phillies of the era that I was growing up. Um, let's say the early '80s to the early '90s, um, you know, 1980 to '93, let's say. Um, and uh, <clears throat> you know, so that era of Phillies is is really special to me. And and, and there's still some people in that organization who uh, I, I know pretty well and. And, uh, and and wish good things for, but you know when they were winning in 08 and 09 and and, and that range, it was um, I think I was able to to look at them objectively, um, you know, and be happy that they succeeded because a, a lot of my friends and family, uh, you know, really loved the Phillies and, and it made a lot of people I care about really happy. Um, but I mean the, the the players themselves, you know, they weren't they weren't guys who I. Uh, you know, rooted for individually or held up as, as, as heroes, just, you know, because I, I sort of passed that stage, but I was happy for the team in the city. Cause uh, you know, and the fans in the city, cause, cause I care about those, 
that city and those fans. And um, I think I was able to bring a uh, a historical perspective um, and bring some insights into my coverage of that era of Phillies baseball that other people didn't have um, because, you know, it, it, it that organization was, you know, a part of me growing up. Um, so I think I was able to use that to help my coverage, but not in sort of a rah-rah cheerleader kind of way. Sure. It was neat to see you start off the book with your dreams of baseball as a child and then also some of your memories uh, with your dad, even uh, leaving ballparks and uh, the excitement uh, after a big win. Yeah, I felt like that was important um, <clears throat> to put in there. I wasn't sure at first, but um, but I felt like to, you know, to put myself in there would, would, would establish um, who I was to the reader and sort of bring a connection to the reader. Um, I'm always aware of, of what I'm not. And, and as much as I love baseball and, and watch it, and as much as I love pitching when I was a kid and still pitch in media games, um, I've never done anything close to what these guys do when they do it for a living and for money and for, um, you know, for the, uh, under the pressures that they, that they, that they work under. So I, I you know, and against the hitters, they, so I did nothing. No, I don't have any basis really for comparison of, of, of what it's really like to be a major league pitcher. So I wanted to, do it just a ton of research and talk to the guys who really knew best. And I wanted to uh, show the readers that I was genuine in um, presenting who I am and, and, and not trying to be what I'm not. So, um, you know, I, 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 you know, I'm not, I don't think anybody can truly be an expert on, on pitching unless you've, you know, unless you've done it. And, and, and I, and I certainly am not qualified to be like a coach or anything. Um so I just wanted to tell people uh, who I am and, and who the person that they're going to be spending the next 300 pages with um, is and, and, and what his background is. So I, I, I'm glad you liked that because I, I felt like it was necessary to um, just to be authentic to the reader. Joseph and I were thinking about when we had left Fenway Park, where he went uh, for last year's birthday, and then also having left um, uh the Boston Celtics game this year and just the excitement and the energy of every everybody pouring out of the building and after a win and it's you're up past your bedtime. And so it kind of made us think back to uh, when you were in that traffic jam and, and it just <laughs> brings back a lot of great memories. Yeah. Yeah. That, no, that's really, uh, <clears throat> it really was great, great memories. And, and, and you know, I hope, uh, yeah, I hope before too long, we can get back to that where we can all congregate, you know, 50, 60,000 people or whatever it is, uh, in one place and just sharing that, um, you know, that, that's, that passion and that energy and, and, and just being around so many other people is, is, uh, you know, is often part of the excitement. It was part of the excitement for me in, in the 83, uh, postseason when I was a kid. Um, and, uh, but, you know, you can enjoy baseball a lot of different ways. I often feel like sometimes, um, <clears throat> you know, in a regular, in a normal season, like, yeah, you have opening day with all the excitement, but sometimes the second game of the season is a lot of fun too, because there's not, you know, the only people there are like the real diehard fans. Um, you know, all the hoopla and hype is gone and it's really just about baseball. So um, there's a lot of different ways to enjoy baseball um, with big crowds or without, but certainly uh, like you say, that excitement of, of everybody invested in something um, beyond themselves is, uh, is really neat. Here's a question for you, Tyler. Now, I know that you had alluded to the fact that you covered the Yankees for several years. 2002 to 2009 was a very memorable period in Yankee baseball. There was a Marlin, 
a curse, a World Series for the core four, and then the last year is an old Yankee stadium. Can you share some of your top moments during that eight or nine year period? Yeah, it was a really um, interesting time period to cover the Yankees. Um, they had just come off, come off um, you know, a, a, the kind of a dynasty that we may never see again. Um, they had won the World Series in 96, 98, 99, 2000, and they had lost in Game 7 in 2001. Um, you know, so they had very nearly won five World Series in six years. Um, and as it was, they won five pennants in six years. So, you know, and then the next three years, they won 100 games each year. Um, they were really, really good, even though they didn't uh, win the World Series in 2 3 4 um, It was very, very interesting time period to cover them because they were transitioning out of the, they still had the core four guys, though they lost Pettit um, for three years in there. But um, when he went to Houston, but they had, they would had this habit of bringing in a big, big superstar every year. And each of those guys would bring with him um, just a lot of really interesting baseball experiences and history um, to draw off of. So you would get to, you know, sort of see the Yankees through the, the eyes of this newcomer who had, who had seen everything else in baseball except the Yankees. So, you know, in other words, like it, Jason Giambi in 2002 um, came in. And then, uh, you know, in 2003, we had Hideki Matsui uh, coming over, being the biggest star in Japan. In 2004, we had A-Rod and Gary Sheffield join the team. In 2005, it was uh, Randy Johnson. In 2006, it was Johnny Damon. Um, and then later that year, uh, Bobby Abreu. So, you know, we just kept getting. And, and then 2008, they didn't make the playoffs. <clears throat> you know, it wasn't a terrible year, but they didn't make it. And that was a different story. And they closed Yankee Stadium. So that was a, that was an interesting um, thing to go through. And then in 09, they bring in CC Sabathia and Mark Teixeira and AJ Burnett. So they just kept bringing in these really big, um, you know, figures in baseball, uh, you know, to join guys like Jeter and Mariano and Pettit and Posada and Roger Clemens, who was there, uh, Mike Messina. So, you know, it was just such an interesting period of, of, of baseball to you know, to see those big stars, to get to know them, and also to know all the guys, uh, you know, on the bench and, and, and all the the extra guys who, who really make a team go. So I, I, you know, I had to be around a Hall of Fame manager like Joe Torre, you know, to see George Steinbrenner, both when he was, you know, still um, very active. And then, you know, and then in the years when he was sort of in declining health, um, you know, that was really interesting to see Brian Cashman, the way he, you know, builds a team and the way he transitioned from sort of being under Steinbrenner's uh, thumb to kind of having a lot more authority. Um, it uh, it was it was really lucky to have those eight years, you know, see Robinson Cano come up from the minors and become a superstar. Um, I could go on and on, but it was it was just Bernie Williams. I mean, just so many great players and uh, really interesting personalities to come uh, in and out of that clubhouse in those eight years. Yeah, I mean, everybody in Monument Park, uh, you pretty much have, have, ha have had the chance to uh, be able to cover and, and, and look into their lives and the ups. Yeah, I mean, you know, coaches. even the coaches who came through, you know, like the coaches are in Monument Park, guys like uh, Don Mattingly and, and, uh, and Willie Randolph. And, and uh, yeah, well, Willie, I don't know if he was on the staff, but he was always around. Um, but, you know, yeah, you know, like I said, Don Mattingly, Ron Guidry. Um, you know, Larry Bowe was a coach for a few years from, from uh, who I knew from Anaheim and the Phillies. So it's just, 
you know, Mel Stottlemyre. I mean, Don Zimmer. You, you just had all these, you know, Yogi Berra would be around in spring training all the time. Uh, Reggie Jackson would be around a lot. Uh, you know, so you just got to know these people. <clears throat> it was, uh, you know, it was just fascinating. I'm jealous. Absolutely. This is, uh, it's very exciting what you do for a living. Here's another good question by Joe. If you needed a base hit to win the game, name three types of pitches that you don't want to see. <laughs> um, so if I'm a hitter, I don't want to see, I guess, a real, you know what, the, a pitch I, I find just really, really hard to hit is a really, a really good split finger fastball that just like dives right into the dirt because I don't feel like you could do anything with it. Um, you know, now if, if you hang it, then it's just sort of a nothing fastball and you can crush it. But um, a really nasty splitter um, would be a pitch I wouldn't want to see if I if I needed to get a hit. You know, a guy like from a from a Bruce Suter in his prime or something, or some of those guys in the 80s who just had that killer uh, splitter or fork ball. Um, I don't know how you, you, you pick that ball up. Um, you know, I mean, uh, you know, certain sliders, if they're just spinning in the middle of the plate, um, you could probably do something with them. But a really nasty slider that breaks late, um, yeah, I don't know how anybody picks those up. Um, if I'm a lefty, I don't want to see a lefty pitcher like a Randy Johnson or whatever throwing a, a, a slider from behind my ear, basically with where his arm is, um, his arm angle, or throwing me a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. Like I, you know, there's no... Neither one of those is 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 is, is fun, um, you know. And, and, and a knuckleball. I mean, a knuckleball can screw up your swing. But then again, it might be right in the middle of the plate, and you can wait on it and and, and hit a home run like Aaron Aaron Boone or Reggie Jackson. So, um, I don't know. It kind of depends on who's throwing it. Like if I'm throwing it to you, then you're going to have a pretty good chance to get a hit, unless I break off my really nasty curve. <laughs> but uh, you know, but like if if uh, you know, Steven Strasburg's uh, throwing it, you know, good luck hitting anything. So um, it really just depends on who's pitching it. But the first thing I thought of was a splitter for some reason, because I just, I feel like if that pitch is thrown well, you know, it's look, you're looking fastball, 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 and it just goes through the trap door and then you can't do anything with it. Did you have a couple little leaguers throw you any, any split finger fastballs this year, Joe? Uh, Maybe like I played the same team and it was the same pitcher, but yeah. <laughs> Wow, that'd be pretty tough to face a, a, a guy throwing splitters in Little League. <laughs> now, I read that you started covering baseball as a teenager, and you had your own magazine uh, feature. What what was that like? How did that get started? I did, yeah. Um, so I um, I just loved reading uh, the sports pages, um, you know, when I was a kid. Uh, Jason Stark of the Philadelphia Inquirer, um, and now with the Athletic uh, Hall of Fame writer, uh, was my um, favorite writer, and 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 now a very close friend. Um, and so I just wanted to see what I could do um, if I could do something like like them, like Jason, and like you know the writers I read in Sports Illustrated and and then books and everything. So I started making a little baseball magazine with my friend. Um, it was kind of like a, a little bit like a uh, baseball card magazine of the time called Beckett. Um, we were really into baseball cards and it, you know, the first few issues were kind of like that. Um, but then the more we did it, um, the more I just realized that this could be an outlet for expressing my uh, uh, passion for baseball and my opinions on, on the game and, and, and things that I noticed. 
um, and fun little trivia quizzes and, and games and stuff. So it just was really an outgrowth of my love of baseball and my love of writing and, and the, you know, an outlet to um, combine those two things. Um, so, you know, I started doing that in, in seventh grade, eighth grade, and, th and then I would send it to sports writers and sports casters whose work I really admired trying to get, uh, trying to get feedback, trying to get advice. <clears throat> and uh, one of them was George Vesey at the New York Times, and, and he showed his editor and they thought it'd be a cute article. Um, so somebody wrote an article about me, and then the publicity machine just started from there. People saw it, and then, and then I started doing more and more interviews. Um, you know, with with writers and with you know TV people and stuff. Um, so the word really started to get out about the magazine. Um, and then you know my dad, uh, you know, was friends. He'd been in the Army Reserves with a guy named David Montgomery, uh, who was at the time executive vice president with the Phillies and later became team chairman. Um, wonderful, wonderful man. And uh, you know, and Dave passed along uh, a request to the PR director that I can get a credential. And so I started doing interviews the day after I turned 15. Um, and then I just became a regular around the vet, um, veteran stadium in Philadelphia. I, I kind of, hey, I could hold my own in, in, in that setting with, with, um, you know, with, with grown up major league baseball players and grown up writers. And, and, you know, I was, like I said, 15, 16, 17, and I learned, uh, I learned a lot about, uh, the game and, and about the profession, um, you know, by observing it and being a part of it sort of firsthand. And I realized that that was really what I wanted to do with my life and um, never look back. That's awesome that you were able to pursue your passion uh, around 15 or 16. I was delivering a newspaper and you're getting ready to be featured in the newspaper. So um, uh, congratulations to you on that. And, you know, uh, for podcasting father and son here with a second grader and, and we started uh, probably about six or seven months ago, this is maybe around our 16th podcast and uh we do a lot of basketball we do a lot of baseball and then uh, and have bad opinions on all the rest but uh um it's fun to have this journey with a, with a seven-year-old who's going to be eight in a couple of days and and uh it's it's kind of what we talk about all the time when we're watching sports together anyway and then we just said let's try to create a living uh, audio memory that joseph can um listen to and appreciate many many years you know down the road yeah Two days away from your birthday. Two right? days. Yeah. All right. Well, that's really cool. That's really great that you guys do that. Um, you know, I still, uh, I still, you know, especially during this time, I'm playing a lot of my dad, this, uh, this dice baseball game that he made for me when I was a kid and how I play it with my son. And we, you know, we still, we still play, uh, you know, we still play a lot uh, together with it. So, uh, you know, baseball is all about, um, you know, fathers and sons and, and parents and, and children. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's it's great that you guys are doing what you do and happy to happy to be a guest. Well, thank you so much. I, I think it's one of those sports because I'm a big college basketball uh, fan as well for UConn. And, you, you know, you can't take your eyes away from the game for a second. But with baseball, it slows down enough where, frankly, I've lost an inning, um, you know, trying to wait in line for a hot dog. And then you come back. And you talk mm -hmm. with the people that you're with and then you look up and, oh, we scored. And sometimes it's just fun to be lost, but somewhere for three or four hours. And, and that game can bring you together in many different ways beyond just every single play that you need to watch every minute of. Yeah. Did you go to a lot of games? We try to get to as many as we can. So, you know, we're located in that hub right between Boston and New York. So hopefully we'll continue to be able to visit 
both of the both of the stadiums. But I I've lived in a number of different uh, cities. I was actually in Florida at the time the Marlins had had, had beat the Yankees in the World Series, and oh, yeah. you know seeing uh, AJ Burnett and Josh Beckett. Um, and, and so it's, 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 I've always found it as a, just a great, exciting place to be a ballpark. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I used to go to a, a lot of games in the stands when I was growing up, you know, probably 16 or 20 or 22 a year or something. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I don't, it's expensive now and it's, it's, it's real production to kind of go to the game in the stands. Um, and I kind of wish I'd, you know, been able to take my kids to more, games um because but i go all the time anyway but it's a different experience in the press box but um but yeah you know being going to games as a kid was just such a uh such a thrill i mean I, you know i think about it a lot you know like the, how exciting it was to go to veteran stadium and just kind of explore a big ballpark like that and, and uh you know get all wrapped up and everything going on the field it was uh it was very very special here's another one by joe what advice would you give young kids who want a who want a job in sports? Um, well, I I think it's definitely important to be flexible and be willing to go anywhere for it. Um, I never believed in like limiting yourself. Um, like I wanted to, I really wanted to write baseball and I never, I never veered away from that. Um, like I wasn't just gonna, you know, take some job somewhere covering something I didn't really care about in hopes that someone would let me write baseball. I, I, I was really insistent on wanting to write baseball right from the start, but I was willing to go anywhere, you know, and I ended up working in California and then in the Seattle, um, you know, and I'm an East coast guy, but like I spent, couple of years in the west coast just because it for me it was about um about just exploring and uh and having that job wherever it was so i wouldn't limit yourself geographically um and i would make sure you use every kind of connection you can make um you know people who can speak on your behalf are very important because you know people who hire people who do hiring you know want to you know, want to know what they're getting into when they hire someone and, and they look to people they trust and their friends. So if you have friends or any connections um, that you can use people to vouch for you to potential employers, that's always important. Um, but also just to be really, really passionate and creative um, and bring something distinctive to the job. Um, you know, there's only one you and you know you have something to offer you yourself are um unique and uh you know marketable so bring your own vision and your own ideas to something because that's what you can mark yeah that's what you can market um is not just yourself as like any other old worker but yourself as someone who has something to offer so you know, some of that's general, but um, those are things that serve me well. That's great. Thank you. Uh, Joe, one thing I was going to ask Tyler is, do you think you could walk the listeners through a little bit about the life of a national baseball writer? Do you have a home base, Tyler, or are you on assignment watching various MLB games all season? How, how many games do you typically go to a year to cover? 
Um, I, it, it, it varies. I mean, I try to keep um, an eye on the schedules and the stories that, because a lot of stories, you know, require a little bit of planning. And so therefore they have to be um, relevant in a couple of weeks, you know? So I look at some, a story or a trend that I find interesting and, and or a player I really want to spotlight and, and then I'll see where they're going to be um, in the next couple of weeks and then, and then plan it out. Um, you know, and then I, I mean, I'm based, I live in Connecticut and I'm based, you know, close enough to the Yankees and Met stadiums where I can just go up and back, obviously, you know, in, in just one day. So I, I, you know, I do, you know, I'll go to a Met game or a Yankee game, um, write a column that night um, a lot uh, or just, you know, gather stuff for the future. But I like being in the paper a lot. So I, I like, um, you know, I like to write several times a week if I can, um, you know, and, and, and a lot of times that's about the visiting team. That's a good thing about the national job is that you can write, you know, if the Oakland A's are in town, you can write something about the A's. You know, you don't just have to write the Yankees every single day sure. or the Mets. Um, so, you know, and there's a lot of stuff you do over the phone and you got to kind of keep up with, you know, whatever is going on in the news, um, you know, the big transactions, the big trades, the big, uh, you know, uh, news items that are happening. You got to stay on top of those, um, you know, and then interpret them for the readers. Like, what does this mean? Why is this important? That kind of thing. It keeps um, things interesting and, and fresh. Do you, do you have a certain amount of articles that you usually write a year? Um, I write, I end up writing a lot, um, a lot more than almost everybody else in the section. Um, but I, you know, I don't know, a couple hundred, 200, maybe, I, you know, I, when I was on the beat, it was in the three hundreds, um, just cause you're writing like just about every single day. But I would say, I don't know. I haven't really counted, but, um, probably in, in, Close to 200, maybe, maybe a little less. This year is a little less because baseball's not happening right now. But um, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's it, it it it's a lot. I mean, because baseball's you know out there every day, and 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 I also believe in 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 writing a lot and getting in the paper. Of course. Now, uh, one one touchy subject for baseball fans, especially somebody who's written a book about pitching. Joseph and I have discussed in our early podcasts about robot umpires and electronic strike zones. Do you think Major League Baseball will eventually switch to them, and how much will that change baseball? Um, well, I kind of do think they will um, eventually, just because I think the technology will get to be so um, precise that, uh, you know, and, and easy to use that, you know, people just go with it. I mean, I don't, I don't like that idea. I'd rather just have the, you know, the umpire calling the strike zone. I think it's worked basically fine, you know, forever. Um, but, you know, if they can perfect something or iron it out and, 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 and where it's not a debate and, and it's thought of as, as being more fair, um, I guess they will. I mean, I saw it last year in, in the Atlantic league, um, you know, it seemed like it worked okay. Um, I, I guess they were going to try it this year and some of the lower levels as well. Um, you know, when baseball starts experimenting with things, you kind of get the feeling that that's eventually the way it's going to go. Um, they're not going to just experiment with it and then drop it. I mean, maybe they would, but um, it, it, I don't have a firm feeling on it, but I feel like uh, it probably is heading that direction, yeah. 
Interesting. It's it's amazing because it could change, you know, the strategies of a lot of catchers who frame pitches. It could change how pitchers decide to go through a count and and uh, if they're going to nibble or, or or try and be right down the middle. So it's it's definitely going to uh, make some interesting and exciting uh, changes for the game and, and maybe improve in some regard um, some of the accuracy of it. Yeah, yeah, it could, you know, and, and it'll change the idea of catchers, uh, you know, framing as a, as, as, uh, you know, something that a skill they can market because if there's no need to frame anything anymore, um, you know, you, you uh, the umpire you know, can't trick the umpire. So, um, you know, that, 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 that aspect will probably uh, diminish as well. Do you have any feel um, as we wrap up here, Tyler, on, on, when you think MLB might start again or what they're thinking about as far as is it, will it be an abbreviated type of season or, uh, or when, what we might be able to look forward to as it relates to uh, this year's baseball. Yeah. I mean, it'll definitely be an abbreviated season. I mean, I, I think they've, they've pretty much given up on the uh, idea that they can in any way squeeze in 162 games. Um, that's just a really big number when, when you're, you know, you're, you're missing April, you're missing May, you're miss, going to miss June probably. Um, you know, and even if you tack on in a month at the end um, and go all the way into November, deep into November, it's still, you know, you're still not going to get all, all the games in. So I, I mean, I optimistically, I think that, you know, they're, you know, they're clearly thinking about starting in, in early July and, and, and getting, you know, june or most of june as a spring training part two um you know they're gonna probably propose that pretty soon and and, but there's still a lot of hurt a lot of hurdles to go i won't believe it until i see it i I just i don't know you know where this virus has taken us um i you know i i i would love to be optimistic and, and and i I want to see baseball badly, um, but I just, there's so much that's out of baseball's control. And, and even the, the point of the, the pay structure, you know, like the, the players, I think understandably, you know, feel like they've, you know, they've given up their salaries right now because there's no games. They don't get paid if there's no games, but once there are games, they feel like they should get paid what they, what their contracts say. It's very reasonable um, desire, but the owners also, you know, say that, well, you know, if we're going to hold games without fans, we're having less money come in, so we don't have as much money to pay you. Um, so then it becomes a whole, you know, financial standoff as well. And 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 if it, if that issue is too hard to settle, then you know maybe they might just say, ah, you know, is it even worth the trouble with all the the uh, the virus concerns out there too? You know, do they have enough testing um, to make sure the players are safe? Um, you know, is all that testing available? Uh, you know, what happens if someone uh, test positive, uh, you know, and then it ripples through the whole team. I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have a great feel for it. I know what they want to do. Um, I think everybody can see what they want to do is, uh, you know, start playing in July and have, play for three or four months and get uh, 80 games in or a hundred games in and play the postseason. But I wish I could tell you more definitively. I just think there's a lot of hurdles they have to cross a lot of, uh, a lot of things they are out of their, still out of their control. Yeah, it's definitely tricky, uh, but we're going to continue to root every day that we're one step closer, stay positive, stay safe, uh, that we're one step closer to playing Little League again and to being able to watch our favorite big leaguers uh, either in the park or, or on television. We wanted to thank you so much, Tyler. It, this has been a really fun uh, morning with you. 
thank you for all the great insight. Thank you for the book that we're continuing to read. And we would love to have you come back on again uh, on the show when baseball is underway and we could actually talk about what some of the exciting uh, things that are happening on the field. Sure thing. Yeah. You uh, know, how to, know how to reach me. So hopefully uh, we will have some real baseball to talk about and, and um, you know, hopefully this all settles, settles down and, and we can get back to watching the, watching the game we love. Definitely. We wish you a wonderful weekend with your family and we want to thank you so much for your time. Bye. Okay. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye Joseph. I appreciate the time. Thank you. You're welcome. Take care. All right. Thanks Tyler. Bye-bye. So, Joseph, how cool was that? You got a chance to write down questions that you had been thinking about all week. And I don't know any seven-year-olds that are able to sit down, have their own podcast, and interview the national baseball writer for the New York Times, who's the author of the book that we read every day. I loved it. I was so shocked. I learned a lot. I'll tell you what, he had a chance to meet some of the greats over the years. Reggie Jackson, he was a name that came up in our Who Am I game. He's met Mariano Rivera. He's talked to some of the greatest Yankees of all time. And he even knows Derek Jeter. I can't wait for baseball. I can't wait for baseball as well. Thanks so much for listening. I love you, Joe. Love you, Dad. Until next time. Hi, Joseph. Mommy loves you. I am so proud of you and all that you do. Your podcast is so much fun to listen to, and I've learned a lot. You amaze me every day. I love you always. Happy birthday. Love, Mommy. Happy birthday, Joseph. I challenge you to always swing for the fences in life. Remember, you can do anything that you put your mind to. I love you, son. Happy eighth birthday. Happy birthday, Joseph. May you have a wonderful year filled with adventures, fun, and health. You are a superstar on the podcasts. Love always and forever. Grams. Hello, Joseph. This is Papa, and I want to wish you a happy eighth birthday. I hope the teams you play for start up soon so Grams and I can come watch you play. I love you dearly, grandson. This message is for Joe. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Joe. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Joe. It's your Uncle Brett. We miss you. And we hope you have a good one and many more. And we'll see you soon and be safe. We love you. I 
Happy birthday, sweetheart. Sending you lots of hugs and kisses. Hope you have a great day and enjoy your weekend. And happy birthday again from your Aunt Maritza. And here's April. Now, what do you say? Happy birthday, Joe. I miss you. I love you. <laughs> love you, Joe. All right. Hope to see you soon. Take care, honey. Okay. Bye, Joey. Have a good have a good time, and we'll see you soon. All right. Give mommy and daddy a kiss for me, and tell grandma we said hello and grandpa. Bye. Hello, Joe. This is Diana. I just wanted to wish you a very happy eighth birthday. I can't believe you're eight years old already. It seems like you were just born. I can't wait to see you. I want you to enjoy your day to the fullest. And enjoy everything you like to do. I know Ian would want to send you a birthday message too. So I'm sending you his. Uh, and maybe we can see you sometime together. We'll see you soon. Bye. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you, Joseph. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. We, we love, love you, you buddy. Joe. Hope to see you soon. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. We love you, Aunt Sherry. Uncle Dave and Billy's here too. Say hi, Bill. Happy birthday, Joe. Love you. Hope to see you soon. Hey, Joseph. Bob Sokolowski from ESPN and RJ's Tours. Wishing you a very happy birthday. Hope that things return to normal soon so you can get back on the baseball field and enjoy one of your favorite things, sports. Have a great birthday, Joseph. Hey, Joe. I just wanted to call and wish you a happy eighth birthday. This is my second time recording the message because I couldn't get my password right to send the message. I hope you have a great day. Uh, hopefully you'll have a little party with your mom and your dad. And uh, maybe they'll have a nice little cake for you. And you'll enjoy the day. Maybe it'll be a nice day. You can play basketball and maybe make a shot from the, uh, the porch like uh, your dad did. Hope you have a great day. Hope to see you soon. Enjoy the baked ziti, and I will talk to you soon. Later. Hey, Joe. It's Michelle. I'm Robert. We wish you a happy birthday. We can't believe you are turning eight years old. You grow up so fast. We love you. I miss you. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Joe, may all your dreams come true. Happy eighth birthday. Love, Rhea. Happy birthday, Joe. Hope you have a good one. Happy birthday, Joe. Wishing you a good one. Hey, Joseph. This is Aunt Kim. And Uncle Fred. And we're both sending you this message to wish you a, a very, very happy, happy birthday. birthday. Wanted to wish you good luck with the podcast, Joseph. Keep up the good work. And I know that your birthday is unique this year, but summer's coming, the weather's getting nicer, and you are going to have a lot of fun playing outside more. And our cat wanted to wish you a happy birthday as well. So happy 8th. Enjoy your day and enjoy your year. Take care and we love you. Love you. Bye. Joseph, happy 8th birthday, buddy. This is James wishing you a very happy birthday from Cleveland, Ohio. I'm a listener of you, to your podcast, and I enjoy you and your dad's commentary on everything from A to Z in sports. 
and I'm looking forward to future episodes of your podcast. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Happy birthday, Joey. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful day and a sensational year. And I hope we see you soon. Love, and Jim. Bye, Joey. Hi, Joseph. It's Mrs. Flint. I just wanted to wish you a happy 8th birthday. I can't believe you're already going to be 8 years old. I hope you enjoy your special day. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Happy birthday, Joseph. This is Miss Sachitello, and I really wish I could wish you a great birthday in person and give you a great big hug, but unfortunately, it's not happening this year. However, I hope you have a wonderful day, even if you have to be at home and away from other people. Everyone is celebrating you today. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Joseph. It's Miss Simmons here, and I miss you so much, buddy. Even though I can't be with you, I want you to know how proud I am of you. When I was your teacher, I could always rely on you as my helper. You are so kind and a great friend to others. Keep up the hard work. I've listened to all of your podcasts, and I absolutely love hearing your voice. Have a great birthday, Joseph. You deserve it. Hi, Joseph. This is your second grade teacher, Mrs. Jensen. I just wanted to wish you a very happy eighth birthday. You are such an amazing kid, and I know this will be your best year yet. You deserve all things good. I can't wait to see you again, hopefully soon. Happy birthday, buddy. Happy birthday, Joseph. Hope you have a great day. Hey, Joseph. Hope you have a great day. Happy birthday. I hope you're practicing, and I can't wait to see you out in the baseball field soon. See you later, buddy. Hey, Joe, this is Maria sending you birthday wishes from Miami. Um, I hope you have a really good day and I hope you have fun. Hope to see you soon. Happy birthday. Love you. Bye. Hey, Joe, it's Kathy at Connecticut Kids and Family. I wanted to wish you a very happy birthday. I hope you have a great day and enjoy. Bye-bye. Yo, yo, yo. Hi, Joe. It's me, Mike. I hope you have a happy birthday. And it was fun playing basketball and baseball with you. And it was fun calling you and messaging kids. I hope we do good. And go Red Sox. See you soon. Bye. Happy, have a happy birthday. Happy birthday, Joe, from Tristan. Hey, Joe, this is Heather. I'm thinking about you today on your birthday, and I'm hoping that you have a fantastic day. I can't believe that you're eight years old. You are growing up so fast. But uh, enjoy your day with your family, and hope you get some Xbox in and some movies, and whatever it is that you want to do is your special day. And um, I love you and I miss you and I'm looking forward to seeing you soon. All right, thanks. Talk to you soon. Bye. This message is for Joe. It is the Dancerose. We'd like to wish you a happy birthday and remind you you have the best fall t-ball coach of all time. 
And now we'll turn this over to Alexis. Happy birthday, Joe. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Joe. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Joe. Hi, Joseph. This is Arlene and Dan. We're just calling to say happy birthday. What a wonderful idea your dad and your mom had to have this on the podcast. Hope you have a wonderful day and an even more wonderful year. And congratulations to you and Dan on your wonderful broadcast. Have fun, honey. Bye-bye. Hey, this is Pete, Sue, Olivia, and Kayla from across the street. We just wanted to call and say happy birthday, buddy. Hello. Happy birthday, Joe. Happy birthday, Joe. Hope it's a great one. Have a great day. Hey, Joseph. It's your old friend Sam calling to wish you a happy eighth birthday, buddy. I uh, hope you enjoy your special day and eat some of your favorite food. And I'm looking forward to catching more UConn games with you, hopefully in the not-too-distant future. Happy birthday, Joseph. Go Huskies. Hey, Joe, it's Coach Dan here. And it's Bennett, too. Want to wish you a happy birthday. We hope it's super and it's memorable and it's the best year yet. And and when baseball is back, we can't wait until you're on the field with us. All right, Joe, enjoy your day. Happy birthday, Joe. Bye, buddy. Happy birthday, Joe. I hope I can see you soon. Your friend, Seth. Happy birthday, Joseph. Have an awesome birthday from your um, friend, Owen. Have an awesome birthday, Joseph. Woohoo! Hey, Joseph, it's Elena and Henry, and it's your birthday. Did you know there are a bunch of famous baseball players with many birthdays? There are a few. Yogi Berra, Willie Mays, and Reggie Jackson. Happy birthday, Joseph. We hope you have fun. Happy birthday, Joseph. It's Rich. Jess, Bella, Tom, Nick, and we hope you are having a fantastic day. We miss you. Bye. Bye. Happy birthday, Joe, from Jim and Jen. Happy birthday, Joe. Hope you uh, get to eat lots of cake, get lots of presents. Maybe you'll get two tickets to a Yankees game. Uh, just kidding, but maybe uh, we can go to a, uh, not a Rockets, but maybe a Yard Goats game pretty soon. That'd be cool, but enjoy your day. Happy birthday.